Josh is teaching us this morning from Job 42, 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So as Kelly mentioned, uh, we're continuing our series called The Unexpected Road. Today we're looking at The Unexpected Road to Peace. Now, usually I'm over here, and I don't get to talk a lot about myself, so there are some things you may not know about me. I'm going to inform you of a few things about me. One, my name is Josh. Secondly, I'm 40 years old. Yes, 4-0, and that sounds really old to me, although everything's about perspective. It probably sounds like a baby. Uh, But I am 40 years old, and third, I have had a near lifelong dream to sing in a boys' choir. Uh, And at some point, I hope that this dream is fulfilled. I don't think that's funny. I don't laugh at your dreams. I don't feel like you should laugh at mine. So I want to sing in a boys' choir. I think when you hear like a boys' choir, like it seems significant, like something amazing is about to happen. You know, like if you were in a room, like you just in your daily life, if you walked into a building and there was a boys' choir singing, you'd be like, oh man something's about to go down. And you would like walk in and it would feel like like just tense and, and significant. I love that. Now, I own several boys choir CDs. I know what you're thinking, Josh, you own CDs? Yes, I do from back in the day, but I have now transferred them all to MP3s. But I enjoy listening to boys choir music. I enjoy sometimes acting like I'm in the boys choir. We all have dreams. Some people want to hit the winning shot in a game. I just want to sing in a boys' choir. Well, when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, late in high school, and there was a song that came out, actually a Christmas album, uh, by Michael W. Smith. And I am not selling this well, I realize, because in, in our day, like back in the day, Michael W. Smith was cool. Now everybody's like, Michael W. Smith sucks. Are we allowed to say sucks? Michael W. Smith sucks. And... and uh, but, like, he has this song that he wrote called All Is Well, and it's a boys' choir that sings it. And to me, it's like one of the most beautiful songs ever. And, and the words are interesting. We're going to have them up there. The, the, the first verse says, all is well, and it's just one lone voice, and he's singing, all is well, all is well, angels and man rejoice. For tonight, darkness fell into the dawn of love's light. And, you know, there's strings behind it. And then all of a sudden, the choir comes in and they sing another verse. But I, I really like what this says. This All is well, all is well. Everything's okay. We can be at peace. Angels and man rejoice. Let's celebrate. Because tonight, talking about the night that Jesus was born, tonight darkness fell into the dawn, the beginning of love's light. God's invasion to rectify, to fix what we had messed up. As I've thought about these words, as I've thought about this song, like it's given me perspective. It's helped me see and really understand more about what peace is, more about being able to say that all is well. 
And, and as I've thought through, like, how would I define peace? This is one of the things I do in my off time. I try to think up, like, what is an accurate definition of a word? And, and so today, I'm going to be talking about peace as peace is not the absence of external conflict. It is the presence of internal calm. Peace is not the absence of external conflict. It's the presence of internal calm. Peace actually has very little to do with your circumstances and much more to do with how you respond to those circumstances, how you are handling those internally. You can be at war physically and yet be at peace. And so I've thought about, like, what does this look like to live in peace? So by way of example, I typically like, love having my phone on me. If I don't have my phone on me, I, I get nervous, or I'm just like, well, what, what if somebody needs me? Unless, and I know what you're thinking, Josh, you're not that important. I know. I know I'm not very important. I feel good, and I don't care where my phone is, so long as my immediate family is with me. If I have my wife and my three kids there, it, who, like, I don't need to worry about missing a call. I don't need to worry about anything else. Nothing else matters because I have the people I love there with me. Not that I don't love any of you or anything like that, but I have the people that I care most deeply about right with me. And if something goes wrong, then I'm there to help fix it. I have control. So I'm at peace when, when I have my family with me because they're all with me and I have control over what is going to happen. If something happens, I can help find a solution. One of my biggest, like, Whenever I get to work, and it's happened a couple times in the last two weeks, uh, where like I'll get to work, and it's probably 7.30, 7.35, and my wife calls me. And instantly, I'm just like, oh man, something's wrong with the car, or a kid got hit by a bus, or the house just blew up, something bad. And, and then it's like, oh, I have to tell you this story about something funny that this little boy said. I'm like, oh, okay, this is good, this is good. I can handle this. But I always gravitate to the worst because I don't have control, and I want to have control. So, so peace is being okay with your current circumstances and trusting who is in control of what will be. And, and it's this, this sense of all as well. So how do you get this internal calm? How do you, as just a person, how do you get this feeling constantly? Well, I, I think it's the result of contentment with what is and trust in who controls what will be. It, it's, it's saying, okay, I am content with who I have around me. I, I am content with my present state of affairs, and I trust who controls what will be. Peace is knowing that all is well. Peace is knowing that, that we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret, because all is well, because we can trust who controls what will be. Today, as, as we work our way through the story of Job, uh, I, I think it's helpful for us to see the Christmas story as part of the story of Job, and see really the entirety of the Bible as one giant story. Because if you grew up in church like I did, then you know a bunch of different stories about, you know, what these different guys did and where they went. And, you know, Jesus did this thing and this amazing thing. And Elijah did this. And, you know, it's felt bored growing up. And now it's probably like some 3D hologram or something. I don't know. I'm not up in bigs. But uh, back in the day, like, they, we had all these stories. But if you break the Bible down into one giant story, then you see it as basically a story in four different pieces. 
One is creation. And, and this is Genesis 1. God creates us. And we are at peace with our creator. You see the, the beginning of the story. Everything is well. All is well. There is peace everywhere. We're in a garden. We're hanging out. We're naked. We're eating vegetables. Everything's good. But then we fall. God's representative, God's representative that he appointed for us, Adam and Eve, they fell. They said, I think I have a better way. And they chose to sin, and they opened a rebellion against God. They started a war of rebellion against God. And then it goes on. This rebellion continues. We rebel, we rebel, we rebel. And then God says, okay, I am now going to broker peace. And that is the message of Christmas. That, that's what starts at Christmas, that the dawn of love's light is coming in, and God is sending his son for us. God is sending a way for us to have peace. And then ultimately, we'll end up with reconciliation where there is no more bad. Everything is exactly as God intends it. Everything is exactly how God wants it to be. This moment, this Christmas scene, tells us that we can be at peace with our Creator. So, Job. Back in the day, if you don't know about Job, we're going to start off in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, looking at this story of how he lived and really how he came to gain peace. Uh, when, when I grew up hearing about Job, I always thought of him as like this near deified character. He, he didn't sin. He was great. He had lots of stuff. So Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1, read through verse 5, Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This story of Job probably happens before the flood. So this is somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 5. This is old, old, old. And, and this guy, Job, he's super rich. When he's listing out these animals, you're like, what, he's a zookeeper? No, he's a really rich guy. Back then, they didn't have papers, so he couldn't have stacks. He had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. And if we were sitting around in Job's day, we would have been like, whoa, dude's wicked rich. I only got one camel. Dude's got 3,000. That's a lot more than me, right? It, we would feel like this guy is insanely rich. The message that it's setting up there is Job was stupid rich. He had more money than you can possibly imagine. He was Oprah rich, right? Tons and tons of money. Sometimes, in my head, I play uh, a game, a little mental game called, what would I do with $20 million? 
you know, if I won $20 million, how would I go about and spend it? And, you know, first I go, okay, well, 40% is going to be taxed. And I'm going to tithe 10%. So I'm writing North Church a check for $2 million. You're welcome. And then I've got $10 million to spend however I want. And I'm like, okay, well, I'd probably set up a business. And I don't know what I'd do, but you got to have somewhere to funnel money. So that's going to be several million dollars. And I'd buy a house. And I'd set the kids up. And Aaron really wants a Range Rover. So we would lease that. You don't buy those things. You just lease them. Uh, I... <coughs> I would lease a Tesla because I'm concerned for the environment and I want to look cool when I drive. And then I would own a truck. I would buy a truck. And, you know, I would do all these things because I would just have crazy amounts of money. You know, there'd be money falling out of my pockets. It would be awesome. Well, however you imagine yourself with that kind of money, that was Job even more. He didn't ever have to think about money. He was secure in everything he had. But just because you have everything you could ever want doesn't mean you have peace. Just because you have everything that you could possibly imagine having doesn't mean you have peace. And Job, we're going to find out, he was content with what was and had trust in who controlled what was, but he didn't necessarily trust who controlled what would be. He didn't feel that... Uh, that um, he didn't feel that God had his best interest in mind. He saw his God as being someone that blessed him when he behaved well. He saw a direct correlation between behavior and blessing. So when Job has everything taken away like he's about to in this story, he instantly goes to, but I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. Why would God punish me? I haven't done anything wrong. Job's God was a God of blessing for behavior, which is antithetical to the gospel. It was completely contrary to what the gospel teaches. Sometimes the things in our life that we see as blessing are actually distractions. These things that Job had were actually distractions to him actually knowing who God was. When I was a kid, uh, I was probably 11 maybe, I had a Nintendo Entertainment System. It was 8 Bits of Pure Glory. And there was a game that came out. I don't know if anybody else played it. It was called Double Dragon. Anybody else Double Dragon fans? I'm like, yes! The greatest game ever. So when this game came out, I was like, I need this game. And I, it either came out like around Christmas or my birthday. They're strategic that way. And I was like, I've got birthday money or I've got Christmas money. I'm finna own Double Dragon. And I got Double Dragon, and it was amazing. Because I could really understand the story. It's the story of a martial artist who has, <laughs> whose girlfriend is stolen by some thugs and kidnapped, and you have to go and get her back. Totally my story growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I wanted this game, and the game was awesome. But you know how when you would get a new game, uh, your thumbs would get sore from mashing the buttons? Like, I got that way on this game. I stayed up like super late, like three days in a row, and uh, I watched gameplay of it uh, two days ago, maybe, on YouTube. You know, I can watch people play the game. I watched it. The game's horrible, and I've, I only made it like halfway through. I was never good at video games, so I got to see like what's actually supposed to happen, but I never made it that far, but it was amazing, and that game completed me. All was right with the world until I realized, wait a second, I'm bored again. 
But then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the game came out and all was right. And this cycle repeats over and over again. When I was a kid, my biggest fear was boredom. I wanted adventure, even if that was playing a stupid video game to rescue my girlfriend, even if that was being, I always forget who I, I, Michelangelo, so that I could, you know, fight these guys and do whatever, so that, I don't know what the storyline was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I don't know, whatever it was in the game, trying to do that. I wanted adventure. I, I desperately wanted that so that I wouldn't be bored. Now, it's easy for me to look back and laugh at like 12-year-old me and be like, oh, I was a stupid little kid. But if I look back when I'm 60 at 40-year-old me, I'll probably laugh at the inconsequential things that worried me. Peace is sometimes falsely seen as a temporary resolution to whatever worries us. These are distractions. 40-year-old me, I don't worry about being bored anymore. I'm cool with being bored. I, I worry more about finances. Everything's okay. But I worry more about finances where it's like, how are we going to pay for college? How are we going to be able to retire? I want to be able to retire on a yacht. How do I make that happen? I want to be able, you know, worried about how I'm going to set myself up for that. You may worry about finances. You may have something else that worries you. Maybe it's health concerns. Uh, maybe it's a broken relationship. Whatever it is, that is a distraction from actually attaining true peace. Whatever worries you is destroying either your contentment with what is your trust in who controls what will be, or both. Whatever worries you is destroying either your contentment with what is, your trust in who controls what will be, or both. These worries distract us from actually having true peace. So Job's story. We know he's really rich. He has everything. Then he has everything taken away. Uh, on day one, these guys come and they steal all his camels and they kill all the people controlling the camels. Then they steal all the sheep, they steal all the donkeys, they steal everything. Everybody, all of his wealth is taken in one day. And Job's like, oh, today sucks. And then all his health gets taken. Oh, and his family dies in like a big, they're all partying in a house and all his family dies. And then the next day, or later on, at some point, all, all his health gets taken away. He doesn't die, but he's got these nasty boils covering his skin all over the place. Has anybody ever had a boil? I've had one. It, it's painful. It's nasty. It, it leaks pus. It, it, it's super, what? It's attractive. It, it's gross. And so he had these all over his body. And it says he sat in ashes, and he had a broken piece of pottery, and he would scoop out the pus throw it on the ground. This is what he did all day. So Job's friends come to help him out, and they're like, hey, we're going to sit with you. We're going to grieve with you. For a week, they all sit in silence, and then the friends become helpful, and they're like, hey, so you sinned. It's obvious you sinned. You need to own, own up to it. And Job's like, no, I didn't sin, because remember, their mindset was God is a God of blessing for proper behavior, and if you didn't behave properly, then God would remove that blessing. And Job was saying, I, I believe that my God is a God of blessing for behavior, but I didn't do anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. And their friend, his friends are like, no, you did. You totally did. You messed up. You did this wrong. You did something wrong. You're hiding something. He's like, no, I haven't done anything wrong. And then this younger guy shows up. He listens for a while. And he's like, no, that's not how God works. 
God is completely different. You can't question his ways. And it says there's a storm building. The, this thunderstorm is coming in. And all of a sudden, for like four chapters, God unloads on Job. He's just like, who are you? And it's totally sarcastic. It is amazing. He, he's just like lighting him up over and over and over. And then finally, Job has this response. In Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, we're going to read. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Breaking that apart a little bit, Job answers and he says, I know that God, you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know now that you're in control of everything and we can't stop what you're going to do. And then he quotes God. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? God had said that a few chapters before because Job was questioning him. He was trying to counsel and had no knowledge. And Job says, therefore, I have uttered, I said what I did, did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then Job quotes God again, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And Job comes to this, this summative assessment. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job now understands that he has not earned anything, and he repents. Through this process, Job gains peace. He, he moves from wanting to have control, saying, I will be blessed so long as I behave rightly, to knowing that he has no control, but he's willing to trust. Knowing that he has no control over what's going to happen, but he's willing to trust the person who does control it. Rick recently asked us, what if this thing that worries you was put there by the Holy Spirit? And, and for Job, it literally was. The Holy Spirit put it there. God put it in Job's way so that Job could be drawn to himself, so that Job could understand who God really was, and these distractions of these blessings could be removed. And so he could understand the God I serve is in control of all things. And he is not a God that blesses for behavior. He is a God that blesses when he wants to and chooses to remove that blessing when he wants to. These passages show us that God is a peace-giving God. He desires that we rest in the peace that he gives. There's a song I like uh, by Andrew Peterson. I like a lot of his stuff. Uh, and I'm a sucker for it. Uh, just the way he writes things, um, both musically and lyrically. And, and uh, he's got a song called Don't You Want to Thank Someone? And it talks about this juxtaposition of how can we like, go on when there's so much hurt in the world? There's so much pain and suffering. And he's like, but look at all the beauty that is there. Look at all the beauty that God blesses us with. And, and towards the end of the song, uh, Andrew Peterson writes this. He says, And when the world is new again, and the children of the king are ancient in their youth again, maybe it's a better thing, a better thing, to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken 
than redeemed by love. Maybe it's a better thing that that we aren't just in heaven and, and headed there on our own merit. Maybe it's a better thing that we are broken human beings that are desperately in need of their creator, desperately in need of the peace that Christmas offers. This perspective helps us look beyond the brokenness that surrounds us so that we can see the beauty. It helps us look beyond all the hurt that we see and see the beauty of the story that God is writing. It provides the internal calm we desire when our external circumstances don't allow for it. It provides this internal peace that no matter what is happening outside, we can be at peace. I want you right now to think of your greatest worry, to think of the thing that concerns you the most. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's restoration of relationships. Maybe it's physical healing from something. Whatever it is, that worries you the greatest. Think of that. And then realize just how finite it is. These things that, like like when you're a kid, you know, and you didn't get a Capri Sun, like the world was ending. And that's like so stupid. Like, that's a Capri Sun. And now we're like, oh man, I better get this promotion. Uh, And if you don't get it, like, who cares? Because we've got 80 years here. And then we get to spend eternity with our creator in heaven. We need to be focused on that. These things that worry us are so finite, are so small, are so temporary. And when we have that perspective, God is offering us peace. He's saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Be content with what you have. Be at peace because I control everything. Our deepest longing is satisfied in the manger. Perspective can come to us many different ways. For me, I, I gain perspective whenever I calm myself, whenever I, I have time alone and I just use those still small moments, whenever I feel small. So like when I'm standing in front of the ocean, like you feel insignificant because it's just immense. Or I, I used to like to climb mountains and like standing on top of a mountain and you just see the immensity of all these other peaks out there, you feel small. Or like at night, if you drive out somewhere where there's very few city lights and you see the galaxy, you see the stars up above you, and you realize just how small and insignificant you are and how great and powerful God is, it becomes much easier than for us to say, God, I'm cool with you controlling everything. God, you can do better than I can. Perspective comes when distractions are moved out of the way and we see reality as if for the first time. The manger is reality. In our our community group, we've been working our way through these Christmas stories. And as we've we've done that, we've realized that for us, it's difficult to see them as novel. It's difficult for us to really see them as something real that should have impacted our lives because... Well, I grew up knowing about the baby in the manger. I grew up knowing that angels came and then a legion of angels came and announced this to shepherds. Uh, I grew up knowing these things. And, And so it's easy for us to dismiss them. But if we stop and we gain perspective and we look at the manger as reality, then I think it can really offer the peace. It can gain our attention. And we can have peace because of what God provided for us in the manger. We can be at peace. We can say that all is well. All is well. Angels and man rejoice. For tonight, because of the manger, 
darkness fell into the dawn of love's light. Let's pray. God, you are great and glorious. God, you are in control of all things. And God, uh, so often I know that personally I want to arrest control from you. And I want to be in control. I, I feel like I, I know better. And God, that's sin. God, these worries that I have of me wanting control, those are sins in our lives. So God, I pray that right now you would call to mind any worry that's deep-seated within us. God, and that we would be willing to confess it to you. God, that you would use this moment for us to stare into the manger, for us to say, God, that is reality. For us to be at peace, for us to say all is well, for us to be content with our circumstances, and for us to trust you because you control what will be. God, I pray that no matter the situation, we would choose to live at peace and trust you. We love you, Father.
Christmas sweater. <laughs> 